day, everybody. It is Barrel Surf Podcast. Now, Mini here with you. What a treat today. We have Mitch Thorson, West Australia's own Mitch. He's in the studio with us today. He's going to have a bit of a chat. Welcome to Barrel Surf Podcast, Mitch Thorson. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, mate. And as usual, we've got T-Bone in the uh, Barrel Surf Podcast studio. G'day, T-Bone. G'day, all. Thanks, Mitch, for coming on. Pleasure. I, and I guess this is the first in-person interview we've done since COVID-19. So True it's, story. True story. Normally, normally we're, we're hidden behind a, a telephone talking to someone or, or on Zoom, so it's good to actually, yes, have someone in, in well, person. Just, just as well, we're 1.5 metres away from That's that. correct, mate. <laughs> Get the tape measure out. two now? I don't know. <laughs> 1.2. Luckily, we're not in Victoria because it's going a bit crazy over there at the moment. I think they had another 45 cases today or yesterday. Wow. Yeah. So it uh, looks like the uh, someone's putting up their hand to host the AFL Grand Final over here. Yeah. I don't know if you follow the AFL, Mitch, but uh, do we might follow a bit of footy. Who do you follow, mate? Well, I, I barrack for Frio, mm-hmm. but I just enjoy watching the game. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's always been. I've actually got a bit of a football. Um, history and um, you know as a consequence I've always sort of liked um, you know the WAFL went for the Eagles when back in the day but I was traveling a lot then so I didn't see much of them but then when Frio started I kind yeah. of jumped over. The old, yeah. the old across the port from west coast Frio a lot of people did that which is fair enough but you know if you're on west coast you're west coast aren't you? Yeah west coast yeah, yeah. We are, you know, stick to a team and carry on like that. <laughs> yeah, well, my my family background was sort of pretty heavily connected to Freo. Nice. And um, so, um, and hence the Rotto thing, the Rottenest Island thing. And um, so there was this uh, a natural, mm-hmm. it was a requirement that when Freo <laughs> put a team up that I yeah. went that way. So yeah, close. anyway, yeah. We must uh, we must say that uh, we haven't got Adzi here today. He's still travelling the desert, surfing and having fun up there, up north. Looks and, nice uh, and warm. And yeah, he's been getting some good waves up there by the, by the looks of it. So, um, yeah, when you get back, Adzi, we'll have a chat further. Um, Mitch, so you mentioned just before Rottnest Island. You're born and bred over there. Yeah, well, you're not actually allowed to be born on the island if they can help it. And... Um, I think there's various reasons around that, but um, my parents, my old man was a pretty handy footballer in the country, ended up at South Fremantle. And at the time, the one of the players was a guy called John Todd. And he had mm-hmm. a, um, he was a butcher over at Rottnest, apparently. Pretty sure this is how the story Is this goes. the John Todd? Yeah, John Todd. Swan District. Swan District's coach. Yeah, right. Yeah, so... Um, so my dad ended up at Rottnest as a plumber and obviously my mum and two late sisters were went over there and um, so I pretty much was, that's where I grew up, tell us about, we, we ended up leaving when I was about 21 but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I grew up over there, probably didn't wear a pair of shoes till I was about, tw- I was, well I went to Scotch College as a mm-hmm. boarder because yeah. there was no high school in Rotto. Yeah. So... Grew up doing a heck of a lot of bike riding, mm. running around, and um, as a consequence of growing up on an island, found myself in the water from when I was a baby. So, yeah, so it was a it was a pretty good pretty yeah. good place to grow up. Yeah, is that where you started surfing? Yeah, so um, there was I, I was a really apparently nearly died a few times from asthma. 
right. when I was really small. And um, my mum's advice was to get me in the water and teach me how to swim. So right. I literally remember, I, well, I can't remember all the way back, but I, I remember like when I was just starting to walk mm-hmm. sort of age, getting pushed into ways on one of those little yellow kickboards at mm-hmm. the basin. Yeah. <laughs> and it sort of went from there. And what you yeah. have, those little reef breaks are... Uh, there's these little gaps in the reef where you get a little right hand or a little left hand or so mm-hmm. as I sort of grew up, just started riding waves, you know. Classic. What a place. It's pretty good. What a place to start. It's funny, I um I was at Rottnest last summer just for a couple of days and um I remember thinking the basin was a mile, miles away when you're a kid. Yeah. And then you go there now and it's just over that hill. You yeah, go, hang on a minute. I th- I thought this place was um kilometers away. So I know we we try not to name names on the podcast, but mm-hmm. um, so how early was it that you sort of started, I guess, traveling outside the basin, maybe to those uh, those waves that we all sort of hear about on Rotto? Well, when I was ten, I got my first fiberglass surfboard. When you th- you think about it these days, and that's mm. like old compared to some of the kids these mm. days. But back then, that was um, you know I was fairly you know fairly young and. The transit, which is sort of out in the bay at Thompson's Bay, it's a few hundred yards out mm. to sea. That was, I started paddling out there, yeah, and okay. um, it's sort of a sand bottom place, but it's on a reef that's you know a few hundred yards out to sea. So um, mm. that would have been the first place, and then all the other reef breaks in the area. I just you know from about ten, eleven onwards mm. started going out and surfing those, and, and of course. You know, it's like the Hawaiian kids and other young kids down here these days in Margaret River that you um, you get familiar with um, getting bashed around by the mm-hmm. ocean mm-hmm. pretty quick, you know. Mm-hmm. So your first surfboard was single fin. You remember who shaped it for you? Yeah, it was. Um, it was a. I got it for my um, for my birthday, and it was a six ten Len Dibbon okay. single fin. Yeah, and the guy that sold it to me was um so back in the so i was born in 1964 so mm. this would have been 74 mm. and that was when they were they had a project called the the red scheme going on on mm. rotnest and they were building all the villas and chalets mm. and stuff around yeah. the island so there's quite a few young guys over there that were builders and you know trade assistants and that sort of thing and and this guy um changed it from a diamond tail and sort of cut a swallow tail into mm. it and glassed it mm. up, glassed up the swallow tail that he sawed into it, <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, I remember it was ten bucks, ten bucks. That's how much the board costs. Bargain, yeah, ten dollars. <laughs> how good's that? <laughs> oh, awesome! It's pretty funny. And did you have any mates that you go surfing with at that age? Because it's going out by yourself is probably quite gutsy. Uh, when you're that young. Well, well, there's only one other guy on the island, that one other kid on the island that surfed. So there was about 400 residents on the island and only 30, 28 kids. Mm. And, yeah, I, literally only one other guy was interested in surfing mm. and um, he wasn't really that interested. So what happened was I ended up getting sort of dragged out into surf by the older guys that were working on the island so mm. you know they seemed old then but they're probably realistically um guys between the age of 18 and 25 yeah. that were um working on the red scheme at rottenness building mm. all the all the houses and stuff and um 
so you found yourself getting dragged mm. out at places that were a bit more, you know, a bit more challenging. Yeah, definitely at the back. It's so a, were you riding your bike over there, or was that did you, any other forms? I think there wasn't any cars at that point, was there? Yeah, we uh, actually. So what happened was, um, up until the age of five, my parent, my name was Mitchell Baker, and um, and my mum and dad split up. He took off. He actually ended up building a whole bunch of properties up at Calbarry. Mm-hmm. And I, I started going up there to see him when I was single digits. Um, so I've got a pretty long um, history with Calbarry, which I love as well. But mm-hmm. um, and but my mum stayed on the island with the baker, mm-hmm. okay. which is ironic because my surname was Baker. <laughs> and then she married that guy who mm-hmm. who was Frank Thorson, who was mm-hmm. the baker. So mm-hmm. they changed my name when I was about... Well, when I went to Scotch College as a boarder, they mm-hmm. changed my name, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, was, uh, I used to be Mitchell Baker. And then your mum yeah. married a baker and you lost the baker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. I guess it would have been handy growing up to have a have, have a bakery at, at your doorstep from, from well, going the, out surfing. It was funny because I never liked any of the sweet stuff, but uh, which everyone always reminds me about how much they love they love the old bakery stuff mm. back in the day but but there was um w- there was a we had an old panel van for mm. delivering all the bakery goods around to the to the pub and the mm. golf course or wherever it needed to go to yeah and um so as time went by you know i used to get lifts out to Strickland's occasionally by my mum and um of course when the boys cotton on to the fact there's a car over there, you become pretty popular. Yeah, I bet. But, um, you know, the flip side of it was you used to ride miles. And, when you know, when you're, you're a kid, you're just so mm. excited to go mm. surfing. So I'd, mm. I'd ride out to Strickland's, which is four miles in the old. Mm. And I'd sometimes do that two or three times a day. Wow. And so you get super fit. Oh, you would, you yeah. You get really fit living on Rotto. Because you got the hills and the wind and all yeah. that on the way over, over the back of the island. Yeah. I was lucky enough to spend some time growing up on an island as well. And I had the same thing. It was much smaller with no cars or bikes or anything, but I worked on the ferry, Penguin Island down in Safety Bay. Yeah. And um, I used to do the ferry run, run back over the other side of the island, surf for half an hour, run back, do the ferry, and just do that all day long on the weekend. Yeah. And uh, I was skinny already, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fit as a fiddle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just on, um, I guess, your early influences, Mitch, I guess as you progressed with your surfing, was there, was there anything, anyone um, that sort of influenced you a lot to sort of start to head towards surfing competitively? Yeah, well, uh, someone gave me a, a surfer magazine, which was an American publication. Uh, I think it might have been when I was 10 or 11, something like that, and... Um, you know, back in those days, people would go to the news agency and buy a magazine, you know, and um, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to just turning your phone on. Exactly. And sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, but I was really struck by these images of guys surfing in Hawaii. Yeah. And um, there was a guy called BK, Barry Kanayapuni, mm-hmm. who was um, a Hawaiian guy that, there was a, there's a shot of him, and I actually still have it somewhere, but there's a shot of him doing a bottom turn at sunset, mm-hmm. and it's just full-blown rail, and it mm-hmm. just was so awesome. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, that shot always stuck with me. But then 
there was um you know i was just generally inspired by the the idea of surfing sunset beach mm. and Waimea and pipe and stuff like that was it got a hold of me really mm. early and mm. then um sort of never never shook it off you know yeah. it was always always the motivational force to to want to be um you know as you start get getting into your teens and mm. you you know your your personality starts kicking in and you're you're um you're driving all that sort of stuff I, I wanted my goal was to be i wanted to be competent at sunset mm. especially that was one of my favorite things and when did you first actually get to hawaii um actually went there actually dave mccauley and i went there when we were about 16 or 17 we won somehow we won a trip there and um we went over there for a couple of weeks and and the first i think it was i can't remember if it's the first surf we had but um paddled out at sunset i've still got the board it was a 7-2 albine still got it single now. fin still got it my son was actually samson was trying to grab it the other day and yeah and um take it for a session and it was funny because he picked it up and went i can't believe how light this thing is yeah still and um so we're talking that was nearly 40 years wow. so about 40 years ago that was. that stood the test of time yeah and well i just stuck it in in a bag and yeah you know it's still there so um but then i was i was hooked from the first mm. session on sunset and then mm. you know sort of over the years you i just gravitated towards that mm. so i spent um from that period on i i spent 12 winters in a row in hawaii yeah well so <laughs> yeah. you would have what I've picked up from listening to people, it takes a while to learn sunset and, and, and where to sit and the different sort of um, conditions. Did you sort of pick up uh, um, any Hawaiians sort of give you some inside knowledge? Or you sort of over your, over your time, you sort of you worked out the best spots to be during certain swells? And Well, there's two, there's two things. One is because of where I grew up, I grew up, um, I grew up surfing almost entirely reef breaks mm. and most of those waves have difficult get in and get out scenarios. Yeah. So what, what I learned really young was um, just I really became super aware of water movement around reef mm -hmm. and as a consequence um, sort of became hyper aware. I, used to, I was very focused on water movement, being aware of water depth and also triangulation was something that from an early age became really important because some of the waves I used to surf were little bombies mm -hmm. off Rotto. So yeah. you're 500 metres to a kilometre offshore yeah. and in order to stay on a two-metre takeoff point, mm. you had to have really good triangulation. Yeah. So I picked yeah. all that stuff up pretty early. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So... Um, going to hawaii was just like surfing around here mm -hmm. yeah to me but, but there was but um just you know probably better there's there's some waves around here that that i've always surfed and actually one of which i hadn't surfed for about eight years but i went out at recently and reacquainted myself with which is a fair way offshore you know sort of actually reminded me of sunset yeah. when uh, when i was out there and um you know, it's uh, it, it it's 
there's a lot of similarities. When you get a really chunky, meaty winter swell here, mm-hmm. it's similar in grunt to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. But Hawaii gets probably a little bit more grunt. Yeah, I think, in I some think ways. I'm picking up what you're putting down in, the, in terms of location. But um, yeah. No. That's, Secret? That's, I'd like to keep that one in yeah, the back. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's all right. No but, worries um, at all. But um, I mean, the other the other thing that's really significant about my Hawaii experience was when I was growing up on Rottnest, I was always the little kid, mm-hmm. so and I was always with older guys. So mm-hmm. you had to, in order to get waves, you had to sort of it was old fashioned. You had to sort of earn your stripes yeah. and start at the bottom and work your way up. And mm-hmm. if you dropped in on someone, they gave you a clip under the ear or mm-hmm. you know a mouthful. Yeah, and um, so you figured out the law of the jungle really quick yeah. and 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 how um tribal sort of law works and so when i went to hawaii the interest one of the most interesting things to me was i was going there as a young fella on the back of um unfortunately two it was you know a couple of the aussie guys that behaved really badly over there which mm. um made it difficult for my era yeah um you know Ian Cairns and busting down the door and and Robert Bartholomew and all that busting down the door bullshit was Mm. detrimental to well it was disrespectful Mm. to the Hawaiians Mm -hmm. which I I always had a problem with with that but it was it just made it hard for everybody else yeah so um I was always a bit off those guys for being donkeys but um Mm. fair enough but I also knew early days how to sort of behave in in that environment. So mm. I just did the same thing. Mm. Start at the bottom, earn your stripes, and yeah. and hopefully you can gain the respect of the local guys. Yeah, yeah, good philosophy. Sort of um, just on um, pro, pro surfing and traveling the tour, when did you sort of start um, as a professional surfer? Um, well, on tour. When I was, I started the first pro comp I went in, was when I was I was still fifteen I think I used to be able to walk into Star Surf Shop in Forest Place Perth and fill in an entry form to the Bell's Beach. <laughs> that must be a comp. really old surf shop, eh? Not saying old, Mitch, but that's no, been around for a while, eh? That whether it's still there today, but I don't think it is. Mm. But um, a couple of years, I think it's been gone. Mm. But that, um, yeah. So I went I went over there, and um, you just go in the trials. Back mm. then, it was top sixteen. This is sort of this would have been about 1978 or nine or something. Mm. And, um, and I'd, I'd been doing okay in a few contests around WA. So I mm. thought have a crack, you yeah. know? And, um, so I met a few of the American guys and a lot of Americans and South Africans back in those days doing the comps. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was when I first did that, but it wasn't until, um, I didn't actually start doing the actual tour until I was eighteen. Yeah. Um, but you know, the first, the first one thing I will say about the previous question about um, you know earning your stripes in mm. in um, Hawaii. One of one of my favourite things, favourite memories was um, real early. I think it was the first time, first or second time I went to Hawaii and. I was surfing sunset and it was it was like it was about eight to ten foot, so mm. pretty solid. And 
but when you get a north swell there, it sort of kind of runs down the point a little bit mm-hmm. more as opposed to being a big A-frame thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, there was only a handful of guys out and um, there was a guy called Marvin Foster mm-hmm. who, when I was growing up, a few years older than me, and he was mm-hmm. a bit of a he was a big star in, uh, yeah. of world surfing and yeah. goofy foot, yeah, goofy foot, mm-hmm. and um, kind of a pretty scary Hawaiian guy, you know. Yeah. Like I was pretty intimidated by him, and yeah. and I remember this session at sunset just vividly because I I got a wave, and he was paddling out, and I tr- I sort of waited until he got out the back, mm-hmm. and then got one before I paddled back to the peak yeah so i was trying to like stay on the other side of the rotation <laughs> yeah yeah and uh anyway I, I was having a pretty good session and i was i kicked out of this wave and and he sat up on his board and mm. waited for me to and I, I sort of had to keep paddling yeah and i was you know i was probably 17 18 and mm. you're trying to you're trying to sort of work out okay what what should i be doing here sort of thing mm. so i just kept paddling and just thought i'm just gonna just paddle past him sort of thing <laughs> and um and as i approached him he just goes in, in you know really thick pigeon, hawaiian pigeon sort of accent he, he just goes hey bro where are you from and and i said oh um yeah i'm from you know like margaret river in mm. western australia and he he goes i like the way you surf <laughs> and i was like oh, i was going yes <laughs> thank, thank I, I was going thank goodness for that but he said I mean, that was cool, yeah. but the cooler thing that he said was, um, he said, I like the way you respect our lineup. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is really early days, and it was yeah. just understanding mm. how to operate in mm. that environment. Yeah. Because there was some heavy stuff going on Yeah, right. in those days. And I, anyway, I ended up getting to become friends with him. And, um, Classic. And he was an awesome guy. One one day we were surfing Waimea, actually. It was pretty solid. And it was like 15 to 18 foot, maybe a few mm. bigger ones. And mm. Marvin was going left, which <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the left at I've Waimea. S- I've but seen Mark Hilly, I think. Mark Hilly goes Sometimes left there, doesn't he? Goes left. Young bloke. Yeah, it was nuts. You I wouldn't advise going, it, though, would you? You'd rather go I, right, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't. I wasn't going left. but um. So how far off the point when you're surfing Waimea are you? realistically because obviously to go mm. left you need to have a little bit of space well there's a little bit of a gap um that he was he used to sneak back out through but if if a big set came and you got caught inside he, he would have been diving under yeah. <laughs> foam balls yeah. pretty close yeah. to the rocks yeah but um yeah that was just one of those that whole thing was you know, you, ref, you when you get a bit older, you sort of reflect on yeah. on the highlights of your surfing life, and yeah. and it's funny because that stuff meant more to me than mm. winning heats. Yeah, yeah. But the the winning, or you know, the competing in on the world tour and stuff was a means to being able to spend my winters in Hawaii. So mm. it was um it was awesome. And Marvin Foster sadly um, lost his life. Um, yeah. But. Um, you know, he was he was really good to me. It was good. Yeah. I guess it sounds like at a young age, you definitely had a level head and you obviously valued respect, um, you know, especially being over in Hawaii and um, and just did your thing and had, kept your head down, like you say. And um, obviously you got, yeah, that would have been a massive, uh, I guess, compliment, I guess, to have someone like Marvin Foster sort of single you out and go, hey, bro. Well, it was it was amazing, and if I feel like a bit of a tosser talking mm. about it, to mm. be honest. But 
it was a really poignant moment Mm -hmm. and um and it it influenced not only how i sort of progressed but how i um advised other people that were going there or just in general with traveling and respecting Mm -hmm. the locals and all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. because if you don't you just make a prick of yourself and someone whacks you and and that's that so i mean intertwined with all the cool stuff that marvin said i probably took off at sunset and had to straighten out because a local guy was going yeah and got smashed and washed in and 20 minutes later got back out and yeah I probably did that a hundred times mm. to you know as well. So you gotta you gotta take you sort of. But at the end of the day, you know, you get a bit older, you get to your mid twenties, and then mm. all of a sudden you're like getting the good ones, you know. Yeah. Even though you really, it sounds like you really enjoyed surfing sunset, like free surfing. Um, how about contests in at sunset? Do you have many many good many good uh, memories of some good heats or any sort of uh, competitors that you sort of. Uh, had some, uh, you know, good battles with over your time in Hawaii? Um, yeah, I would say that that would have been, for me, the best, the most successful place for me competitively. Mm. I never won a World Championship Tour event, but I did beat, um, and I I remember this because it's, it's a bit unusual, but I, I beat 11 different world champions over the course of my competitive career, and I think seven of those were at, sunset yeah and Classic. some of them multiple times like Andy. I, and it was really cool like yeah. I, I think um i got mr out there three times tom curran a few times martin potter barton lynch Oki, all very good hawaiian surfers too. some pretty good guys yeah yeah that um managed to win heats yeah. you know against and stuff it was it's it's cool awesome. to cool to reflect on that sort of stuff but you know it's as i said before the competitive stuff was like the peripheral part to sure sure to uh you know yeah trying to surf good good waves in hawaii (laughs) i just put my hand up there we had some feedback from a listener the other day saying that we talked over each other a bit so i thought i'd come up with some sort of thing sorry to interrupt mitch um no problem okay on what you're saying no (laughs) thanks Nathan. no go ahead absolutely butchered that thanks for the feedback yeah (laughs) Um, I, I'm actually, you were saying that, that it's an imp- important part of your development over there. I'm super interested in the, the whole respect thing in Hawaii. Who, who were some of the Hawaiian guys that were, um, obviously Marvin Foster was one, who were some of the other guys that were surfing Sunset really, really well that you respected and wanted to sort of get their blessings? Oh, well, well um, Tony Maniz is, mm-hmm. um, he's, uh, he's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, but he was also one of the most, if not, he would be would have been one of the couple of most respected guys easily over there and probably still is, I'd imagine. Um, he was an amazing surfer, um, great guy. Um, once again, was I got on really good with him and, and I think just the fact that you, if you embrace what they're all about, mm. um, the local guys over there, um, it it helps you know it helps a lot. So Tony was was an amazing guy, and um, I saw him recently actually. Um, actually, last year when the when the comp was in was in Margaret River, um, I spent a bit of time with Slater, and and he's good mates with Tony, and we got this um, Kelly got this this big dinner organised, yeah. and, and um, 
So we had had dinner and there was heaps left and he goes, I'm going to ring Tony. So he rings Tony, Tony and um, he's got an appetite. He doesn't, doesn't mind a, a snack and um, especially when it's, it was good quality food. So Tony, Tony and his wife came over and helped polish it off. It's pretty cool. But um, he's got a few kids, doesn't he? Uh, he does. Yeah. But also, but Ben Iper was really big. He yeah. was really good for me too. He was yeah. super cool. Um, some of the, yeah, he, some of the, you know, I remember I had a heat with Sonny Garcia one year and it was to either make it into, if I won the heat, I would come, I would have been like 10th or something. And mm -hmm. if I lost, I would have been 20th. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought I'd smash Sonny. And I came in and I sort of, that was back mm -hmm. in the days of mm -hmm. three, two split decisions and it was all on paper. It was <laughs> yeah. before they used to read it out. Yeah, so. Yeah. And Ben Iper came up to me. They announced the result, and I lost on a split decision yeah. three two. Ah. And it was at um, was that in the Pipe Masters, and um, but it was at Pubikea. And Ben Iper, who was Sonny's coach, walked yeah. down. And he goes, he just he just said, you know, you should have won that <laughs> sort of thing. And and it was like so. But beyond that, he was really cool. And then um, in terms of other guys, mm. influential guys over there. Um, yeah, there, there was there was a few other. The best surfer I ever saw over there was Michael Ho, the best yeah. waterman. Yeah, he his understanding of the ocean at sunset, backdoor pipe, Waimea. He mm. he was the best I saw. Yeah. yeah, Michael was awesome. It's in the genes in that Ho family, isn't it? By the looks of it. Yeah, Coco yeah. and Mason and He's obviously still getting Derek. Still yeah. out there today. Yeah, just on um, sponsorship. Mitch, um, just to obviously get to Hawaii and different parts of the world. Who were you sponsored um, with during your career? Well, um, I, I was sponsored by Rip Curl when I was a kid and um, mainly uh, back in those days they were, they were sort of a big deal and, um, and then um, I ended up, there was this pivotal moment when, um, well, two things happened. One was... Um, the guys started West mm -hmm. and I, I, um, they offered me a deal to get involved with them and I was really reluctant to leave Rip Curl because mm. one thing I figured out reasonably early was that if you're a pro surfer, you just got through those extra couple of heats if you were sponsored by a Rip Curl, Quicksilver or Billabong. <laughs> if you were sponsored by some um, lesser known brands you sort of tend to become a bit more expendable yeah right. because you know Mango, your mangoes and your peaks all that exactly that's exactly right so if and you know the and the reality was rip curl quicksilver and billabong were funding the asp so you know they were doing all the marketing they were spending a lot of money and this and that so it just sort of was a natural mm. you know human behavioral thing that if it was close then one of the one of their guys was probably going to win, so um, it was a big risk. But I, I switched over to West, and mm. and and the reason I did was because they were they started making wetsuits with um, Japanese rubber, and mm. they were just insane. Like yeah. I was, I remember the first time I put one on, and um, Roger Liley used to he they were custom making mm -hmm. the wetsuits, and and um, Patrick lay there, and um, the wetties were just heaps better. So I ended up switching over and then um uh, i think not long after that i went in a contest called the stubbies and and um at burley heads mm -hmm. and and i won the trials mm -hmm. and uh i think i beat gary elkerton 
in the final. And, th- and then I ended up with, um, I got approached by Billabong. So um, Jim Banks was the main Billabong guy. Jim Banks mm. actually drew that logo. I don't know if anyone knows that. The Billabong logo. The Billabong logo. He actually, actually drew it with crayons on a bit of paper. Classic. And, and coloured it in like, like a little kid did it sort of thing. But that's where the Billabong logo came from. I don't know if he ever got, um, if they ever paid him Jeez, for it. That would have been pretty good royalties <laughs> sure, but, for a long time. But, um, 300 Jim, bucks in a suit for him. <laughs> and, um, well, that, that, was, that, was, that was what I was led to believe anyway. But um, mm. And uh, so the Billabong team ended up being myself. Mark Ocalupo was already sponsored by him. He'd mm-hmm. just been picked up. Mm-hmm. Banksy, because... Um, because um, Oki was from Cronulla and that's yeah. where Jim was from. Yeah, yeah. So that was how that sort of panned out. Mm-hmm. And um, Gary Green and a guy called Stuart Cadden. So, yeah, Billabong and, and West. That was when Billabong was just boardies and clothes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you that if, if Billabong. I didn't think Billabong were making suits back then. Yeah, so uh, going back to West, I mean, I, I, know I grew up um, and got a customised suit from Roger and um, mm. it's it's uh, basically wore West pretty much all my or started my surfing and pretty much through my 20s and then I guess West sort of um I don't know just sort of I don't know how but um can you explain how West sort of dropped away later on in the was it the mid 80s or mid 90s when no so West was actually what what happened West actually had multiple capital raising periods over the Mm. journey Mm -hmm. and had multiple owners and in the a mining industry guy ended up with it and in about 2013 unfortunately it um it you know they they had some problems and and they had to wind it up mm-hmm. which was which was real really disappointing and and um for everybody that was involved and um and there was some interest in trying to by the brand then, yeah. But the problem there was too many complicated issues going on yeah. with it yeah. um, that you probably can't really talk about. Sure, yeah. In public, yeah. <laughs> and um, but um, as a consequence of those complications, it mm. sort of had it sort of laid dormant for a few years, maybe five yeah. years. Yeah. And then um, out of the blue. Out of out of the blue, um, we've got a gate crasher. Yeah, got a gate crasher. <laughs> yeah, autographs later, mate. Okay. Out out of the blue, um, I I got a phone call and the opportunity sort of presented to mm. to um, buy the brand back. Was this yeah. recent? Was this recently? So that was two and a half years ago. Okay. So um, yeah, I took the opportunity and um, with. With um, my business partner Tim Morrison, um, we acquired the brand and then mm. started figuring out a way to try and bring it back to life. Yeah, it was such an iconic brand, like I was saying, for me personally growing up. So yeah, same like, thing. We we obviously, you know, in that sort of area where where it was, um, yeah, I guess founded. So it was, yeah, that was our local brand, wasn't it? So how's the journey been trying to reemerge the brand for you since? Since you joined up with your partner, how's it how's it been over the last year or two? Uh, well, it's been um, it's been really good fun. We we actually 
decided right at the beginning there was we we had there was a couple of influences from a couple of people around the traps that had concepts on how we should go about it but tim and i decided let's just let's just firstly in a really organic way try and figure out if there's a place for west back in the market yeah because obviously you know the wetsuit market's dominated by a couple of big guys and then there's a million small brands yeah sort of emerging so um, we decided let's just do a really organic little approach so we started the idea was engage with the hardest core guys that we knew Mm. around margaret river Mm -hmm. and all guys who were um either some of them are guys that no one no one would know Mm -hmm. and um, but if it was 15 foot plus on one of the outer reefs the guy that you see out there by himself it'd be one of those guys type thing so we we targeted those guys along with a couple of um you know reputable sort of underground local guys like rowan annesley and michael short and um some other guys around around margaret's Mm -hmm. and a couple of young guys like jed mattinson and young george simpson jr down there at Mm -hmm. gracetown Mm -hmm. and um we thought let's just put some energy into these guys let's muck around with some prototypes and Mm -hmm. and um do some super um wa centric sort of brand building yeah and um so you know we focused heavily on the wa coastal environment mm-hmm. and and really importantly the the attitude and the behaviors of the west guy and girl eventually when we get women's um stuff into the line yeah but um but the west the west well, we we call them West people. So, yeah. um, instead of going down the path of having ambassadors or team riders, we, we just have people, and mm. and yeah. they're and they're just authentic people. That sounds right. I reckon that's a fitting term, people. Yeah. Well, if you go to our website, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so 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 with with um with West people, you know, we we just we wanted to align ourselves with, you know, the sort of guy. Well, Toddy Taylor, is, yeah. it, for example, he's 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 a a little bit more eccentric yeah but he's a west person so rings he's me west other, through and through he's west through and through yeah. so so the other day he he rings me up and goes i'm i'm out of here on sunday i'm chasing a swell up mm. the coast so that's what a west guy does yeah and yeah. probably happy to sleep on the roof of his car or or in a you know yeah. cave on the side of the road yep. or he would be probably with you know a carton of emu export in the back <laughs> probably, of his car probably yeah. <laughs> and you know no, no craft beer for west people <laughs> probably wears exactly yeah probably wears like black t-shirts and yeah, yeah. steel cap boots and stuff like that so yeah. that's what we were trying to yeah we were trying to focus on yeah but then what we're finding and and as as we sort of grow, we're getting pretty good traction like the yeah. the, the 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 brand's being embraced mm. and there's a lot of passion from people who have been involved with the brand yeah. for decades but there's also the emergence of the extension of the west the west people thing what yeah. what it is it, it's it's actually a spirit and an attitude mm. that people mm. have so mm. there's guys from at the moment around margarets that are from um uruguay mm. or mm. um argentina mm-hmm. or chile yeah. 
or France and they've got that vibe. Yeah. Like they're they're pretty you know, you see some of these guys from Uruguay paddle out at main break and they're it's eight foot mm. and side onshore and they're not that proficient, but mm. they're fit and they have a crack. Yeah. Have a dig. yeah. And that's kind of what it is that yeah. we're we're sort of doing. And then so we, it's getting embraced. The vibe's getting embraced by – it's not just a WA brand. We A lot of our imagery is from here and, mm-hmm. and so on. But, mm-hmm. but it's a, you know, ideally it becomes a global brand that has a specific feel. Yeah, yeah. And um, – That's a good uh, explanation of, uh, I guess, the, the concept about, of West um, – Speaking of West people, I see uh, Taj um, signed up with West. Become a last last month or a couple of months ago. Yeah, a few months back. A few months back. He's a West person. He's a West. He's a West person. True. Um, yeah, I mean, he. Um, well, it's funny how it works because I mentioned our our low key approach with um, with our sort of rebuild of the brand, and instead of announcing that he was back on board. Mm what we did was we went to our Instagram page and posted a photo of TB when he was about 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, it was when when I was on the tour and I was getting boards from Mick Manolis yeah. and we and I, I had an arrangement with the Campbell brothers, mm-hmm. Bonzo guys, and Mick, was, um, Mick Manolis was making Campbell brothers Bonzas in Australia and... Um, I was sponsored by West and Taj was sponsored by, he was about 10 yeah. and he was riding Mick Manolis bonzes and he, and he had, was wearing West Weddy. So we put that up on it on, yeah. So that was, instead of doing some yeah. big announcement, we just put that yeah. up and then, yeah. and uh, it was funny because not after that, there was this patch of the next month or two when heaps of crews started putting up photos of themselves with <laughs> 10 with their boards and stuff, Yeah, which was really good because it, it was, um, created a nice sort yeah. of vibe around yeah, it for sure so what products do west create now Is it just wetsuits or yeah so we've been um you know with that sort of organic theme of or business strategy i suppose um we we started off with three two steamer three mil two mil steamer and a two mil short arm steamer mm-hmm. and what we the plan was we wanted to essentially make a $550, $600 wedding and sell mm. it online for 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what we did. So mm. it's a pretty high quality product. Um, and, but once again, it was designed to see if anyone was going to buy them. Yeah, you know, sure. And yep. see if we could get them into the market. And then when COVID hit, um, cause we only launched it in middle of September last year. So we started off with a three, two steamer at the mm. end of winter. So it was never, mm-hmm. we're never going to sell yeah. heaps, but it was more about seeing if, if there was an acceptance of the brand. Sure. Yep. And, um, but then we canceled our winter order cause of COVID. Mm. So, um, we're running out of, we ran out of weddies <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. pretty quick, but, um, yeah. but you know, we're just going to do wetsuits and sort of in keeping with the theme of, producing what the hardcore WA person wants or mm. the that sort of West people thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we'll we'll end up with we've got a hoodie and a beanie yeah. and a black t shirt with a white mm. logo and a white t shirt with a black logo. Yeah. Uh, just to mix it up. Mm. And um <laughs> uh that's that's kind of yeah. about it for now. Um yeah. and we'll just see what happens. Yeah. Simple West Oz products. It's just what you need to throw in your car and drive up the coast chasing a swell like Toddy mm. did the other day. Yeah, for sure. So a few people doing that, just driving up the coast for swells lately. Um, it's the only place where you can go or stay <laughs> home. Well, that guy. Which is not a bad thing. That guy on the website there in the Weddies, that's my son, Samson. He's actually sitting up at um, a nice little destination on the northwest coast at nice. the moment, enjoying himself for a couple of weeks. So um, It's been a few waves up there too. Yeah, I heard it was been all right. We've seen we've seen various photos come come down the wireless, haven't we, from yeah. various people up there? Yeah, so that's awesome. I, what, what's the um just with the whole? I guess you, you'd have a better insight into this. Obviously, you're involved with it. What's what's your situation in terms of getting the product out there? Is it more a, a website sort of thing, or is that a retail uh, plan, or what, what's going on there? Well, we were focused mainly on online, just to see if there was an appetite for the brand anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did a little deal with, with um, Todd Taylor at the board store in Dunsborough. Mm. And, um, and he's been having quite a bit of success with it. And then Nathan Rose surfboards who makes my boards down in Margaret river. Mm -hmm. He's got a really classic old school factory. Actually, he, he was taught to shape by Dave Brash and, and Morris Cole Mm. And um, his factory now is the factory Morris set up in the nineties wow. when um, when he had uh, when he was living down at Margaret's and and um, so Nathan's factory's um, down there and we've we you know move through move a few wetsuits through there as well. Yeah, classic. Just on um, you said you had a son. You got you got other kids, mate. You got family. I've got two sons. Frankie or Samson is the guy on the website. <laughs> Modeling uh, is a cheap model. <laughs> cheap model, right? Didn't, nice. didn't, didn't pay him. Oh yeah, yeah, I see. He's, he's a bit of a. Uh, should at least give him some money for a haircut. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could probably use a trim. And uh, and then Frankie, my oldest boy, is he actually moved to Melbourne mm. with his fiance, who's mm. a lawyer, mm-hmm. to take up. She got a really good job there. He's doing a PhD in medical science, mm. and he sort of nearly finished it, but. Mm. They got there like a week before COVID hit. Wow. So he's he his plan was to come back here, get his car, drive back, cross the Nullarbor, et cetera. So he got sort of stuck there. Okay. And um, he's never liked football, but I said to him, if, you, if you're moving to Melbourne, what you have to be really aware of is that in Melbourne, there's only one religion and it's AFL football. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So just be aware of that and... Um, you know, pick a team. So um, I said to him, you know, where, do you, where are you going to live? So he's living in Carlton. So he actually oh, he actually, um, he actually sent me a text message on Saturday night and he said, are you watching this Carlton Essendon game? And I was like, what? <laughs> it's the first time I've ever... Yeah. Normally, he'll if I'm watching footy, he'll walk past and say something like, why are those men hugging each other on the ground <laughs> or something yeah, like yeah, that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, so all of a sudden I get so he's apparently barracks for Carlton. Yeah. And they got up by a point the other night, so he's pretty happy. Ah, oh, it's good to see. That was that was yeah. my first team before the Eagles come on board. So yeah. good to see Carlton take a loss as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> just just speaking of that uh, Victorian thing, have you spent much time down the coast there? 
Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, awesome neck of the woods. I actually worked for Oakley for a while and when they were based in Torquay and Geelong and, uh, and then later on they moved to St Kilda. But, um, I mean, I first went to Bells, as I said, when I was mm. 15. So I've got a long um, relationship with that particular wave. And, and then you got – there's some really good surf around there, like Winky and Bird Rock and, and that sort of stuff. But then down the coast down there, there's some super good waves as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, 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 a lot of those guys down there are, are a bit like sort of us Margaret River types, mm-hmm. you know, sort of um, probably a bit no frills and mm-hmm. maybe fashion's not such a big yeah, thing. But, yeah. but um, you know, chasing cold, chunky surf is kind of the, the you know, the main, um, the main objective. Yeah. Those guys get some, yeah, they're, they're good guys down there. Such a great coastline. Mm. Just on locations, I mean, it sounds like power-based ways is what appeals to you, in particular like Hawaii and obviously Margaret River in Victoria. Was there any other locations um, around the world that you really took a liking to? Um, yeah, well, um, probably because I was shit in small waves. That's how it sort of panned out. You just <laughs> <I was laughs> liking those bigger ones, but... Yeah. Um, um i i took a bit of a shine to jeffrey's bay yeah i had some i had some bloody serious luck there like the first well in fact just about every time i went there sorry to the j if anyone from jeffrey's bay is listening sorry for bringing it up but um but yeah there's the first time i went there i was there for i think eight days and it Mm. it was between four and like maxing out sort of size and just perfect the whole it was unbelievable i couldn't even you know it was like something out of a movie Mm -hmm. but it was real and it was for an extended period of time and and uh, that's a a great spot especially if you like you know i I sort of i kind of surf like a snowboarder sort Mm -hmm. of thing like Mm -hmm. i just try and be on if i'm not on one rail i'd like to be on the other one sort of thing instead of flapping around and and um and Jay Bay was really good for that sort of stuff. Oh, such an epic spot. You, uh, yeah. So, um, spent a bit of time there in the mid 90s. Yeah. Both Namu and I. Been there a bunch of times. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I lived in Cape Town for a bit. I torrented as well. Um, yeah. Well, Cape Town, um, I, I actually got luck. In fact, the only time I ever got a 10 in a surfing contest was at this right hander in Cape Town called Crayfish Factory. Yeah, classic. We had a we had a this big right hand. It's a bit like North Point sort yeah, of a yeah, way. Yeah, I know the wave. And um, yeah, I just had a epic heat and jagged a ten. And um, but there's a left just up the road from there called Outer Com that yeah. was used to surf a fair bit yeah, as well. That yeah. was Heavy bloody wave, wasn't it? It was good. It's actually not dissimilar to Main Break at Margaret's. Yeah. Got the same sort of feel. Yeah. So those big seaweed things that. Mm pop up Can't out of the water. Yeah, I yeah, know. So we're both yeah. just um, smiling there because Wayne Jaggard, when he was on a couple of weeks ago, was talking about getting a 10 at the Crayfish Factory as well. In Did he? Heat. Yeah, he said he yeah. got two. Yeah. Oh, he's freaking trumping. He's one-upping he was, all the time. He was what a one-upsman. 16, I think he said. But anyway. <laughs> he said, you watched Mitchell come on here at some point. I yeah. want to say I got two 10s. Yeah, he probably did too. Just on like <laughs> the current state of professional surfing now, Mitch, do you follow the, the tour when it was running, I guess? I do. Yeah. I do. Um, yeah. Are you sort of across the, um, the the new proposed format that they sort of um, 
Is there a latest version of that? Well, I haven't really... they didn't expand on it, but I guess the one key thing that they're going to propose is to have a bit of a playoff, a bit of a finals day playoff. Yeah. Whereas, I guess, throughout the year, as you know, people accumulate points and whoever gets the most points wins the world title. Now, you can still accumulate points, you get seeded, but in that final day competition, like if you're, say, sixth or seventh on the ratings, you could potentially take out you know, the world title. So it's a bit of a, a showdown type AFL grand, grand final series, sort of similar. Everyone's got an opportunity on that day, whether you're first or eighth. Um, are you asking me what, yeah, I, I, just, what I think of it? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, well, I don't think it really matters to um, the, per, the spectator hmm. um, that much because, um, you know, they change formats all the time and, and um, you know, criteria changes and all that sort of stuff. And you're dealing with a subjective sport that's mm. – you're never going to get the two people agreeing on who was who should have won that heat yeah. in, in a lot of cases, you know. So it's a subjective sport that's um, influenced by all kinds of political things and um, – Like saying brands – Brands, Brands had a massive influence on it. Like the number of times in my um, 10 or 11 years on the tour that I saw guys absolutely just smoke high-profile people but they'd lose the heat mm. um, was just a classic reflection of the, the not only the subjective nature but the politically p- political influence and, and, and all the other stuff that goes on in the background. Like, for example... How Taj Burrow never won a world title is beyond me. Like mm. I, I've seen, I've seen them all from when it started. You know, from Peter Townend to Italo Ferreira. Yeah, and um, yeah, he it it uh, was disappointing. He didn't he didn't win one. He probably was extremely unfortunate in particularly nineteen ninety nine not to win one. The Oki one. The Oki one. Mm. Was he runner up? Yeah, he came second. Yeah. Yeah. And well, in that year, um, you know, and Oki's a guy who was one of the most amazing surfers I ever ever saw. I traveled with him and saw him do things that were just Mm. mind blowing. And, you know, he's one of the greatest of all time and deserved to win a world title. But I think that particular year, Mm. there was a lot of influences going on through the media and through politics and all that sort of yeah, stuff where yeah. I think he deserved to win a world title, but um, so did TB. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was – I was there. I saw that. I was with travelling with Taj that year mm. and, um, yeah, I reckon, yeah, I, I, he was really unlucky not yeah. to win that year. So how, how – um, when that sort of went down, the Oki won, how, how was um – how was Taj's sort of mindset? Was he just devastated? Did he take a while to get over it, or what? What was his sort of headspace? I think he probably, you know, you, you I'd imagine that, you know, if you're in that circumstance, you couldn't help but be pretty heavily disappointed. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he got over it. Um, to, to Taj's credit, he, um, he'll go down in history as, so, you know. If you look purely 
at who won the world titles, mm-hmm. you're not seeing a reflection of who the best surfers were on the on the year, and that's the subjective nature of surfing. So, in my time, the number of times when the best surfer of the year won the world title was probably quite a few of them. But there mm-hmm. would there was a lot of times, like you know, Taj. In terms of impact on world surfing, mm-hmm. in terms of influence, if you did a world title, you know, an annual world title on who's the most influential surfer of that year, well, then Taj would have won five world titles. Yeah. And some people that won world titles might might have been extremely good at working the system, mm-hmm. really good at winning heats under that system. Mm-hmm. And um, and were really you know intelligent and disciplined and um, you know skillful at, at pulling that off. But mm. but in in the context of Taj, you know, he, he's one of the most influential surfers in the history of the sport, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. But he didn't win a world title. So, hundred yeah. percent agreed. So yeah. that's um that's where if you purely look at the numbers with pro surfing, it really can get distorted because mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys who are kick ass at at getting forward to the beach yeah. and winning heats, and um, but no one no one would have sort of looked sideways at these some of these guys at Pipe or Sunset. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, that's mm, probably a little bit of a. That's just you know subject, my subjective view sure. on, on surfing. Yeah, is there influences? I guess um, after you leave the beach, that not saying that Taj is involved in this sort of thing, but um, you know, there's certain certain surfers, I guess, that have a very good time while they're on tour and don't perhaps get the results that they perhaps could have because of that. Is, is there anyone that you would sort of consider best on ground in the uh, after dark stakes? Oh, hundred percent. There were guys who were were unbelievable um i mean this there was a, there was a handful of guys that did both of course like machines well i you know I, I got on really well with andy irons and um he was uh you know he was just you know i, I was thinking about it recently like trying to rank the best guys i've seen and mm. how, do you, how do you do that sort mm. of thing mm-hmm. And you're talking once again really subjective sort of stuff, but but you know he was. I put Kelly on top. Mm-hmm. Kelly's the best I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But I would put I'd put Andy second, and then probably John John third, and then um, there's a couple other guys in there like Taj would be right in there. I'm not sure if Gabriel Medina. Has I mean he's won world titles, yeah. but in terms of, I'm not sure if Gabriel would have gone past Taj or not. But but Andy was good at that, you know, the nightlife side of it as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know, things got the better of him as time yeah. went by. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was the the best guy. <laughs> there was two. There was two guys that if they were around with the current criteria, because mm. in my era. The system was completely fucked. It mm. was, it was, it went from best three waves mm. and kind of big turns being rewarded in yeah. the 
late 70s, early 80s mm-hmm. to when Ian Cairns got a hold of it and tried to wrestle power away from the Australian emergence and dominance. He changed it to on the back of what he was doing with the national, the NSSA in California, yeah. where he was training kids to catch lots of waves length and of do a lot of turns and do mm-hmm. and length of ride. So the criteria yeah. became best four waves, mm-hmm. number of turns, mm-hmm. length of ride. Yeah. And like windscreen wiper verticals and stuff like that used to get yeah. more points than yeah. some guy that was burying a rail. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that, that was frustrating to watch, particularly given that it didn't favor me, but, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but it favored a lot of other guys that yeah. were brilliant at manipulating yeah. the system. So, and mm-hmm. once again, that's the subjective nature of surfing, but mm-hmm. the guy, there was two guys that if they were doing what they were doing then now would mm-hmm. probably be in the top five or 10. And one of them was a guy called Matt Archibald. Yeah. And he was frigging insane. Yeah. He like, you'd watch, you'd be anywhere in the world watching pre event warmups. Mm-hmm. And he was like one of the best, best guy in the water or one of the best in the water pretty much all the time. Yeah. But he couldn't get through a heat. Yeah. So he didn't have, he never even made the top 30. Is that right? This guy's one of the best surfers I've ever seen. And yeah. um, the other guy was Matt Branson, yeah. who he's, um, who just just used to go flying down the line and just go bang, you know? And Yeah. He, yeah. So he was um, in the wrong generation as well. Right. Brano was freaking pretty awesome. He was a power-based sort of surfer, wasn't he, Brano? Yeah. Is that like West Australian rail game? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it was. Um, yeah. So uh, those guys, I'd say, be the guys that stand. There's a few others as yeah. well. Um, there's a guy called Smirk Mangan from California that used to <laughs> surf just like Smirk Kong. Mangan. Yeah. And um, but he couldn't get through it. He couldn't yeah. couldn't work the system. Yeah. You mentioned before coaching, and I was going to ask you, sort of post, sort of sur- like surfing competitive. Did you sort of take on a bit of coaching? At certain hundred percent. So um so when when I finished I tried to do I tried to do some um business with an American sponsor I had, which ended up going pear shaped and I lost all my money mm. unfortunately in that ordeal. And I offered my services to surfing WA thinking, you know, in a in a lot of sports, you finish your career, you know, I, I was I was sort of the the guy that got West Australian pro surfing going in terms of I had a crack at it sort yeah. of thing. There was Ian Cairns and then there was 10 years break and then I sort of went for it and kind of pulled it off to a degree. And then mm-hmm. um, Dave McCauley and Stuart Bedford-Brown yeah. sort of followed and then mm-hmm. and a little bit after that, Matt Branson and a few other guys, you know, a few Jake other Patterson guys. And those like then Jake come. was a little bit after yeah. that. Yep. And then Taj was after that. But mm. but um, so I thought I'll offer my services. Um, and the reason I started pro surfing was because I got banned from surfing WA. But um, it, 10, 12 years later, when I finished, I thought I'll go back and see if I can offer them my services. But they were quite a close-knit sort of bit of a – they weren't interested in what, Why in did me you get banned com- from surfing WA? Um, can you share the story? I can. How long you got? 
I'll it's try up and, to you, mate. It's up to you. I'll, I'll have to have Mitch Thorson take two. And <laughs> take two, yeah. I, I was just thinking this has been already been rambling on yeah, for a fair not while. Not at all. So when I when I was seventeen, the way it used to be was there'd be either three or four state rounds, and they would take your best two or three results, mm-hmm. and that's how you qualify for the state team. So I I won I won the first two state rounds, mm-hmm. and this year they was the first year they introduced a fourth state round. And so I'd won the first two and I thought I'll go to a surfing WA meeting and and ask them if I if in the interest of trying to do the best I could to potentially win an Aussie title for WA mm-hmm. should go to the East Coast and go in the stubbies and bells and the Coke surf about and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm try and get some more experience, come back, the Aussie titles was mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So I went to a meeting, asked them, and they said, yeah, well, you've won the first two. Even though there's two more, it's best three out of four and you've got enough points already mm-hmm. to make the top six. So they said, off you go with our blessing. So I went over and did it. And then on the night of the last state round, I was I was. I was in uh, Bells or something like that. Mm. And um, my mum rings up and goes, oh, um, you missed out on the state team by one one spot. And I'm like, no, 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 they they guaranteed me. I'm here. And, um, you know, they endorsed it. I, they signed it off at the meeting. And then, so anyway, I ended up, someone got enough points to just pit me. Ugh. And the gap was me coming last in my first round heat if I had to come back and go on as that, it was like a couple of points sort of thing. So I was pretty disappointed. Anyway, I I sort of, I came back and I said, what happened? Yeah. You know, and the guys, the president at the time just said to me, well, you know, you arrogant little shit, you shouldn't have gone. I'm like, what? You Mm. you guys sent me over there. Yeah. So anyway, I went down there as a reserve Mm -hmm. thinking, Surely someone won't turn up and I'll get in, but yeah. I missed out. So yeah. on the last day of the event, um, I was really I was shattered because mm, yeah, because I'd you know I'd been pretty successful yeah. against all the other guys that yeah absolutely towed them up and then couldn't get a spot. Well, I was pretty disgruntled. <laughs> yeah, so um, I could see. So anyway, um, I was out at the the last day of the, the finals. North Point was pumping and I was out there surfing. They tried mm. to get me to come in. And I've just gone, <laughs> you guys have got to be kidding yeah, me. You're kidding me. So I got banned. I, mm. I got banned from surfing WA for 12 months. So I had to go either to the East Coast or mm. my mum said, how about if I buy a ticket to South Africa? Mm-hmm. So I, I went because I'd been to the first few comps already. Mm-hmm. Because I was trying to improve, like improve for the yeah. Aussie titles, yeah. And then, um, yeah. So I went to South Africa, and then I ended up doing well enough to stay on the tour for another oh. ten or so, ten, eleven years. Or whatever. Seems it was. like it sort of worked out a, a little. It bit. Worked out okay. The iron, the the, the, the end. The end to that story was, um, well, as I said, they weren't interested in me, my services, trying to help develop the young guys when I got mm. back. Mm. Um, so I set up my own business, which ended up 
doing really really well but that's another story but the um the culmination of that story was i was in Fremantle getting my car fixed mm -hmm. and the guy who was the president of the um the, the surfing wa at the time that mm -hmm. caused all this to happen mm -hmm. he was there too getting his car serviced and i, I mm -hmm. wasn't holding the grudge like i i still got on good with him over the mm -hmm. years and stuff mm -hmm. but my wife-to-be rocked up to pick me up mm -hmm. and i go oh yeah this is jock and um this is fiona mm -hmm. my brother-in-law tony and um and it and i'm he just goes i'm the guy that tried to fuck this guy's career up before <laughs> it even started and i was like yeah. i was like whoa that's pretty yeah. heavy admission but then he launched into this spiel about how how um sorry and regretful he, he was and and he he'd obviously been carrying it for years but mm. he, he oh, come yeah. up to me a couple of years ago down yeah. here and yeah. and um brought it up again so you know you do you do shit in your life that you you know sometimes you probably wish you didn't and yeah, i guess that true. was one of those things yeah. that for him still a pretty hefty hefty band yeah, yeah but it worked yeah. out really good because yeah. i ended up on the tour I'm, i was my, I, I wanted to be i i wanted to actually be a footballer and mm. go to university that mm. was my ambition so yeah. you know it turned out pretty good yeah it still you turned know. out pretty well so right? you're on the tour for 12 years 10 12 years i started in 83 and i finished doing the whole tour in i think it was the end of 92 or mm. three and mm. then i i still went in events mm. until about 96 or something yeah, okay awesome something like that yeah so you're still getting in the water have you been to much surfing um yeah not as much so i've got two new hips and um 11 months into the second one and the fir okay. first one's about two years old yep. and um but i couldn't walk very well for about 10 years and got pretty fat and mm. sort of struggled i could still surf but mm. just you know not that you know it was it was it was, it was really it's not until i got the operation i realized how, bad how much yeah. sort of restricting mm -hmm. restricting you and you but you try and you know what it's like you go oh, i'll just put up with it but then 10 years later you just go geez i wish i'd have done that 10 yeah. years ago <laughs> yeah but um so now they're good now and it's just um trying to peel a few k's off now but yeah. I, I, but i'm still surfing i can paddle out at margaret's when it's 10 12 foot and mm. just sit wide yeah carefully pick off the easy ones yeah. and and um every now and then you get caught inside and walloped yeah. but yeah it's not like the old days when you you'd sort of try and take off behind the peak and yeah if you got smoked you just <laughs> you just sort of were fit enough to deal with it I but know, i'm a bit heavy. mindful of yeah not enough. biting off more than i can chew sort yeah. of thing yeah yeah but um, yeah so that's pretty much the story yeah mm. all right mitch um I think we'll probably uh, wind it up, mate. Um, I don't know, my kids will probably come back and start screaming. <laughs> yeah. But I um, really appreciate you um, taking the time to, to come on to the Barrel Surf Podcast. Um, best of luck with with uh, with the continuing of Wes. Um, Thanks, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great to have another uh, a West Australian surfing uh, legend in, in our books uh, on the show, mate. So, yeah, all the best. No, thanks for having Cheers. me on. Yeah, thanks very much, Mitch. That's cool. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the Braille Surf Podcast. We've had Mitch Thorson with us today. Uh, look forward to pre uh, releasing this to, for everyone to have a listen. 
and uh, we'll catch you next time on Barrel Surf Podcast. Cheers, guys. Ooh.